Hello and welcome to the Memory Chapel podcast. Memory Chapel is a small, rural, non-denominational Christian church located on Banceville Road in 84, Pennsylvania. On this podcast, we feature an edited version of our Sunday morning worship service at the chapel and the Bible teaching of Pastor David All. Thanks for joining us. And now, let's get to the worship. in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, we come to you today with thankful hearts, thankful for who you are and what you have done in each of our lives, what you have done for all of mankind in the greatest gift of all, the gift of your own son. We give you thanks and we pray that you would assist us today as we seek to worship you. May it be in spirit and in truth as we seek to praise you. May it be done rightly, adequately. May we exalt the Lord Jesus and glorify you, Father. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we ask. Amen. This may, in fact, end up being the most unusual Thanksgiving sermon that you've ever heard Maybe that you'll ever hear. It's quite possible. Sermons titled A Big Picture View of Thanksgiving. And sometimes I think it's good to get back far enough that you can see the forest and not miss it for all the trees. Question that we start with today is, and this is why it's a strange Thanksgiving sermon, what happens when we die? That sounds like something more fit for a funeral than for a Thanksgiving service, huh? What happens when we die? You know, here's where it gets really interesting. The Bible gives us two very different pictures, two very different answers to this question. What happens when we die? Now, I know you're probably already thinking that I mean to talk about two different destinations, heaven and hell. But that's not the track that I'm on this morning. To clarify, I'm not right now talking about the eternal destination of the righteous and the wicked. Just for sake of example, let's put it this way. You say to me, what happens to a righteous person after they die? And then I say to you, well, the Bible gives two very different answers to this question. Thoroughly confused? I thought so. I think so. So now I've set the problem for myself. How to get you unconfused in 20 minutes or less. That's my goal. I hope I can do it. 
Let's start with what we all probably know. Based upon what you understand from the Bible and what good Bible teachers have taught you through the years, I would like for you to answer the question, what happens when a righteous person, let me define the terms here, a righteous person is someone who has placed their trust in God through the Savior that he's provided, that is, through Jesus. What happens to that person when that person dies? What comes next? Would some brave soul here today like to try answering? I promise you, this is not a trick question. It's not loaded. It really is very simple, honest, straightforward kind of question. Would anyone like to try? What happens when a person who's right with God through Jesus Christ, what happens when they die? I see no one's willing to take the bait. You're sure there must be a trick. Well, there's a brave soul. You go to heaven, right? See, I told you it was a simple one. This wasn't hard. Good job. Thank you for being brave enough to try. And you got it right. That is, in fact, what the Bible teaches. When a person who has believed the good news and trusted in the Lord Jesus as their Savior, when they die, they go to be with Him. And where is He? He's in heaven. So they go to be in the very presence of God. And that's a good thing. I might add, They don't go there to float around on clouds wearing golden halos and strumming harps. That's all cartoon stuff. Okay? No, not to experience some sort of lighter-than-air, spirity sort of existence. It's not like that. Rather, to enter into fullness of life, to be clothed with a body. Yeah, not just a spirit, but clothed with a body that is fit for an eternal existence. This house that we live in right now, these bodies, they break down. You know it. Sometimes they hurt. They get weak. They make us groan sometimes, just trying to get out of bed and put two feet on the floor. They make us groan. Even so, we have to get pretty far down that road before we are willing to say that we're ready to just hang it up. Why is that? It's because being in a body even if it's a body that's making us groan, is preferable for us than to be out of a body. We're human. We're designed by our Creator to be in a body. And so we will endure the groaning for a long time before we ever get to the point of saying, I don't have any more fight left in me. But all of this is only to say, that we need to be clear about one thing. What comes next after this does, in fact, involve a body. Just as much as what we've known so far involves a body. We were made to be embodied, and we shall be, in bodies that won't make us groan. And that is a very good thing to look forward to, isn't it? But to bring us back around to the track that I set out on, Did you know that the Bible also gives us a very different picture of the hereafter? It's true. It does. I'm going to show you right now. We're going to begin by looking at a few passages in the Psalms, in the Old Testament. You don't have to turn to them, but if you're the sort who likes to turn to and just make sure that I'm reading the right thing. uh, We begin in Psalm 6. Psalm 6, verses 4 through 5. 
The psalmist cries out to the Lord. He says, turn, Lord, rescue me, save me because of your faithful love. For there is no remembrance of you in death. Who can thank you in Sheol? Sheol? Did I, what's Sheol? Sheol, what is that? I haven't heard that one before. Uh, Sheol is a Hebrew word. Depending which English Bible translation you're using, it can be translated a few different ways. It can be translated grave, pit, Hades, hell. Uh, Hell's probably a poor translation, but you can find it in some translations. Sheol. The basic idea was this. Sheol, that's the place of the dead. That's where spirits go when they leave the body. Disembodied spirits are confined in Sheol, and they have a bleak and shadowy existence there. Look at what the psalmist says here. He says, the dead in Sheol, they don't do the things that the living do. They don't offer up praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. That's why the psalmist desperately cries out to the Lord. He desires the Lord to rescue him from the dire circumstances that he finds himself in. He says, turn, rescue me in your faithful love. Rescue me. Why? Because I can't praise and thank you if I die. Why? Because the dead don't do that. Not in Sheol. Psalm 30, verse 9. The psalmist continues painting this this awful bleak picture. Psalm 30, verse 9. He says, what gain is there in my death? In other words, what would it profit you, Lord, if I die? You've got to keep me alive. If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your truth? If I die and go to the grave, God, what good will that do you? You've got to keep me alive here, he says, because in the pit in Sheol, the dead don't praise you. They don't proclaim your truth. Psalm 115, verse 17. Psalm 115, verse 17. It is not the dead who praise the Lord. Oh, no. Nor any of those descending into the silence of death. Oh, I told you it was going to be a strange Thanksgiving message, huh? Once again, we see this idea. The dead don't praise the Lord, or proclaim his truth. They're utterly cut off from that kind of activity. And this is truly awful if you think about it long enough, especially when you consider what mankind, humankind, man and woman, were made to be, were made to do, made in the image of God. They were to be the bearers of his image, the reflection of the unseen God in the physical realm, the proclaimers of his truth, the workers of his justice and mercy, the living, breathing, blood-pumping song of praise to his glory. But you know the story. Sin and death marred that bright visage. Someone once observed that you can get a good understanding of the Bible's first book, Genesis, by considering its first five words, in contrast with its final five words. The first five words, in the beginning, God created. But if you turn to the end of that book, the book of Genesis, and you look at the last five words, it concludes, in a coffin in Egypt. Wow, how far things fell, right? Sin and death truly marred the image. How tragically awful. In death, 
Mankind is rendered incapable of being and doing what mankind was created for. Let's look at a slightly longer passage. Psalm 88. Psalm 88, 1 through 12. Again, the psalmist is crying out to the Lord for help because he wants to stay alive because he says there's nothing going on in Sheol. He says, I cry out before you day and night. May my prayer reach your presence. Listen to my cry, for I have had enough troubles and my life is near Sheol. I am counted among those going down to the pit. In other words, everyone thinks I'm as good as dead. I'm like a man without strength, abandoned among the dead. I'm like the slain lying in the grave whom you no longer remember and who are cut off from your care. You've put me in the lowest part of the pit, in the darkest places, in the depths. Your wrath weighs heavily on me. You've overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have distanced my friends from me. You have made me repulsive to them. I am shut in and cannot go out. My eyes are worn out from crying. Lord, I cry out to you all day long. I spread my hands to you. Boy, this guy's in a bad situation, right? In fact, there's only one thing he can think of that would be worse than what he's going through. And that would be to be dead. He says, do you work wonders for the dead? No. Do departed spirits rise up to praise you? Again, the answer is no. Will your faithful love be declared in the grave? Your faithfulness in oblivion? Will your wonders be known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of oblivion? This is truly bleak stuff. But this is a picture that the Bible paints of what happens after a person dies. And we're not only talking about the wicked dead here. No, this is what the righteous were dreading as well. That's awful. Ecclesiastes 9.10. Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your strength because there is no work. There is no planning. There is no knowledge. There is no wisdom or knowing in Sheol where you are going. How do we know that you're going there? Because everyone goes there, he says. Everyone experiences the same thing. It's awful. That's really something to look forward to, huh? Do what you can while you're alive because you won't be doing anything after, in the hereafter. That was a picture that the Bible painted in the Old Testament. Isaiah 38, 18 Isaiah 38, 18, For Sheol cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you, God. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. No work, no fulfillment, no doing what you were made to do, no being what you were made to be. Oh, and in case you missed it, no hope either. In the sweet by and by, not even close. This is ugly, awful stuff. Are you feeling bad yet? I I would be feeling really bad. And I know where I'm going and I still feel a little bit bad with all this. But, maybe, just maybe we can also find a glimmer of hope. The prophets of the Lord began to speak of something else. They began to speak of a raising of the Lord's dead, a resurrection, a rescue from the grave, from the pit, from Sheol. There are a number of places that I could take you to, but this morning I'm only going to take you to one. 
Daniel the prophet had received an angelic visitation with messages regarding the time of Messiah's coming, that is Christ's coming, and the end of the old covenant. When he desired to inquire further, the angel told him this in Daniel 12, 13. In Daniel 12, 13, the angel said, As for you, Daniel, go on your way to the end. You will rest, and then you will stand to receive your allotted inheritance at the end of the days. Essentially, Daniel is being told that he's going to live out the rest of the days of his life, and then after death he will rest, waiting for the time when he will stand, resurrection, to receive his reward. There would be, it seems, a little bit of hope that Sheol was not to be the final word. There was certainly enough there that faithful Israelites at the time of Jesus had a basic understanding and belief in a time when the dead would be raised to be judged and rewarded. And we can catch a glimpse of this in John's Gospel, chapter 11. In John 11, we have the account of Lazarus, a friend of Jesus who had died, being raised from the dead by Jesus. And it goes like this, John chapter 11, beginning in verse 17. Jesus had heard that Lazarus was sick. He waited a few days, Lazarus died, and then he went to visit. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. This was in a town called Bethany, near to Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary, the sisters of Lazarus, to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet, even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again, in the resurrection at the last day. She's referring to Daniel the prophet here. She says, I know at the end of the days, my brother will stand. He will come up out of Sheol to receive his reward. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God who comes into the world. Martha clearly believed that the dead would not remain forever in Sheol, but would one day be raised out of that place of the dead to be judged and rewarded. But better yet in this passage, it wasn't only Martha who held this view. In case you missed it, Jesus himself affirmed it. And he further developed it by boldly claiming that he himself was the resurrection. He was the raising up. He was the rescue mission. He was the answer to death because he was the life. Paul picks up this idea of Christ Jesus' rescue mission to the realm of the dead. He refers to it in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 8. Ephesians 4, verse 8, and in doing so, he's quoting from Psalm 68. 
Paul says, for it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and he gave gifts to people. The idea that Paul is communicating is that Jesus Christ freed the captives. Who were the captives? The righteous dead who were confined to Sheol. The Lord had redeemed his people by laying down his own life as a ransom for them. Not just for them, for us too. One people of God, one body. We belong to Christ. He is the Lord of the living and the dead, who in him are dead no more. Romans chapter 14, verses 7 through 9. Romans 14. 7 through 9, Paul says, For none of us lives for himself, and no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and returned to life for this purpose, that he might be Lord over both the dead and the living. I, of course, had told you that the Bible presents two very different pictures of the hereafter. But that's only because something happened to radically change the way that things were. Jesus Christ gave his life as a ransom for many so that many might be brought to life through his resurrection, his raising up. Yes, indeed, the Old Testament scriptures that we read, they did present a very grim picture of the hereafter, the grave, the pit, Sheol, the great equalizer of all, the realm of the dead, disembodied existence, devoid of purpose and meaning, cut off, a bleak and fearful fate for all. But of course, Jesus the resurrection and the life, he changed all of that. Now the picture that can be presented by the Bible is very different, far different from that first picture. Because of Jesus, there is hope. And when I say hope, I don't mean, oh, shucks, I hope so. I mean something that is a sure and certain expectation of what will come. There is hope because there's life, there's purpose, there's meaning, there's fellowship and relationship, not cut off. There's reunion. There is a body. A body for you. A body for me. And there is a body, capital B, body. That is a people of God who get to enjoy his presence, not be cut off from him. But all of this is because of Jesus. I want you to take a deep drink from these scriptures I'm about to read and think of them in the light of everything we've just talked about. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, the Apostle Paul writes, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one, that is, in Christ. In Christ, 
we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in Christ. In Christ, we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. Dropping down to verse 20, he continues. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler, every authority, every power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Dropping down to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived your lives according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, just as the others were. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, he made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You're saved by grace. It's God's gift. He also raised us up with Christ and seated us with Christ, in the heavens, in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Boy, that was a mouthful. But all of that to say, things are so different now, thanks to Jesus Christ. He's the great difference maker. The apostle Peter picked up some of these ideas. First Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Think of the contrast. Before Christ, what could anyone expect? Sheol, the pit, the grave, nothing, oblivion. Because of Christ and what he's done, oh, there's an inheritance waiting for us. There's good things to come. Romans chapter 8, verse 38, Paul says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. There's nothing that can keep us away from him. Nothing that can keep him away from us. What a transformation. You see, it's not the pit, the grave. It's not Sheol that has the victory. It's Christ Jesus who has triumphed over death 
and he gladly shares his triumph with us. His victory, it's our victory. His life, it's our life. His resurrection is our resurrection. We can now do and rightly hope to forever do the very things we were created to do. We can be and forever be what we were made to have been, what we were remade in Christ Jesus to be, the image bearers, the reflection of the unseen God, proclaiming his praises in both the here and the hereafter, forever after. So, how does all of this tie into thanksgiving? Remember, we're after the big picture here. Let me take you to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, as we conclude. Hebrews 12, verse 28, and hopefully we see how it all comes together right here. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. By it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe. Let us be thankful. Why? Because we're receiving a kingdom that isn't going away. It's a kingdom that you are already, hopefully each one of you, already experiencing in the here and now. But it is a kingdom that in the sweet by and by, we will all continue to experience. And guess what? We'll enjoy it even more fully. It's a kingdom that enables us to serve God in the unique, special ways that humankind were made to do. So thankfulness is not only the only appropriate response to the gifting of such a kingdom, it is also the only appropriate way to serve the God who has secured our present and our future by so great a salvation. Take in that big picture today. Consider it. And give thanks. God has granted you a bright future because of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the big picture that because of Jesus, everything has changed. In the Old Testament scriptures, Father, we saw this bleak picture that everyone had to dread of a shadowy existence cut off from the people of God, cut off from your light and life, but you had a plan. Jesus Christ was your plan. You sent a Savior. Jesus Christ is that Savior. You staged a rescue operation. Jesus Christ was that rescue operation. And we give thanks that Jesus has changed it all. The whole outlook is completely different now. We know that when our lives here come to their natural end, we have nothing to fear if we belong to you, if we belong to Jesus Christ, if we are in him, nothing to fear, no grave, no pit, nothing can separate us from you and your light and your love and your life. It all changes because of Jesus. 
You've given us a kingdom that won't be shaken, won't be removed. It's forever. And by it, with thankful hearts, we can serve you in an appropriate way. Not only here while we live out these, these lives, but in the life to come, we will serve you. And I, I trust and believe we will serve you even better. We give thanks to you for what you've done for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. I invite you to take your hymnals one last time. Thing number 597, take my life and let it be consecrated unto thee. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my will and make it thine, it shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own, it shall be thy royal throne, it shall be thy royal throne. That first verse, the songwriter expressed the desire that his life, his days, his moments would just flow in ceaseless praise. Oh, brother and sister, that's what we were made for. We were made to proclaim the praises of our Maker and to faithfully reflect Him in this world and in the world to come. And because of Jesus, we can do it. We don't have to fear what comes next. There's good things in store. So, this Thanksgiving, may the grace and peace of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Today, this week, and forever. Amen. Thank you for having tuned in with us today. We hope you found the time in worship and the word to be encouraging, challenging, and strengthening. If so, we'd love to hear from you. We realize there are so many ways you could spend your time. We're glad you chose to spend it with us in worship and the word. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all today, this week, and forever.